As Larry mentioned earlier, Proverbs 31, let us open up our copy of God's Word to that beautiful passage this morning together. We have a couple different passages here in in chapter 31. We'll we'll begin in verse 10. If you're reading one of the books in one of the Bibles in the back, you'll find this on page 552, Proverbs 31, starting in verse 10. Let us read together. An excellent wife, who can find? She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. Verse 25. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands, and let her works praise her in the gates. God be praised for his word. Well, we're going to take a break in our study of Matthew this week in honor motherhood. I've entitled the sermon this morning, Ordinary Moms and the Extraordinary Plan of God. We're not going to be camping in Proverbs 31. We'll kind of be all over the Bible But I want to honor you mothers and those of you who have mothers with this very high and crucial calling that so many of you embrace and with little understanding or encouragement from the world a lot of times. You're the ones who have heard the word in Titus chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, and you've heard those words not as oppressive but as liberating. Those words are as follows. Paul instructs Titus to teach the older women that they should train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. And you have heard that word, to be kind and submissive and love your husband and your children, to be a worker at home, and you have heard that calling as something that is rich and beautiful and wonderful and deep and precious and high and holy and confirming of your heart's longings. And it's absolutely essential for the accomplishment of God's purposes in the world. In fact, when you read throughout the Bible, even though there are many more men mentioned in the Bible than women, it is hard to read the Bible story and not see that when a woman shows up, something good really happens. Jezebel and Athaliah were devilish tyrants, but most of the women in the Bible are much more hero than zero. I mean, just think of Sarah and Rahab and Deborah and Ruth and Esther and Abigail and Mary Magdalene and Mary and Martha and Mary the mother of Jesus. And then think of the women who supported Jesus out of their means, the women who repented of their sins before Jesus, 
the women healed by Jesus and the women at the empty tomb of Jesus. If you can tell the story of the Bible without ever naming a woman, you're not telling the story as the Bible tells it. Because all throughout Scripture, women have been crucial and critical to the plan of God being accomplished in the world. And not just women, but mothers in particular. And that's what I want to show you this morning. Here's the point of my sermon. It's a rather long statement. It's, not, it's only about three, three or four sentences. But I'm going to unpack this statement over the course of the sermon. But here's my point. Here's all that I'm trying to say this morning. I want you to listen to this carefully. In this fallen world, motherhood will be marked by suffering. However, our God is a God who cares and who redeems. So be encouraged, moms. You do far more than you think and therefore press on in the good work of motherhood. I'll read it one more time. In this fallen world, motherhood will be marked by suffering. However, our God is a God who cares and who redeems. So be encouraged, moms. You do far more than you think. Therefore, press on in the good work of motherhood. That statement kind of has four parts to it. And what I want to do is unpack the four parts of that statement by looking at four women, mothers in the Bible, that exemplify aspects of that statement. We're going to look at two Old Testament mothers and two New Testament mothers. Let's start with the New Testament. And here's the first part of the statement that I read for you. In this fallen world, motherhood will be marked by suffering. And for evidence of that, I want you to turn with me to Mary, the mother of Jesus, in Matthew chapter 1. Go with me to Matthew chapter 1, please. And we're going to read verses 18 through 25. We've already seen this in our exposition through Matthew, but I hope revisiting it through the lens of Mother's Day will even add fresh perspective to it as we come to this passage again. Verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. We've, when we preached this passage originally in, in Matthew chapter 1, we saw what a difficult circumstance this truly was for both Mary and Joseph to have a baby in Mary's womb before they were married, before they had ever come together sexually. And yet what we see here is that their world was completely turned out, turned upside down. No way was any rational person ever going to believe their explanation for why Mary was pregnant. They would just confirm that she needed a visit to the psychiatric ward clearly and that she wasn't prepared to be a mother if she's coming up with excuses like being conceived of the Holy Spirit. But nonetheless, God's purpose was being accomplished in an extraordinary way through this very difficult providence. This was an ordinary mom 
that was having something extraordinary accomplished through her. She was going to give birth to the the long-promised Messiah, the one who was going to come, whose name would be Emmanuel, God with us, who would be called Jesus because he would be the Lord's salvation, the way in which the Lord would deliver us from the penalty for our sin by becoming a man in the person of Jesus Christ and living a perfect life and fulfilling the law completely for all of us who are sinners and have broken God's law and would die under the curse of of death and wrath and judgment for that sin in our place that we might, by faith and repentance, receive Christ's righteousness, be forgiven of our sin. I mean, this is an ama- this is the central act of God's redeeming grace in human history, and it's accomplished through an ordinary mother. But this motherhood would be marked by great suffering. You remember in John chapter 19, verse 27, when Jesus is hanging on the cross, one of those famous seven sayings that he makes is making sure that his mother gets taken care of. Mary was racked with with suffering and guilt. The fact that she's given up, giving up her 33-year-old son to death of a criminal on a cross, knowing why it's happening, But still, as a mother, having her very heart ripped out, having a young son of 33 years old taken away from her. And Jesus says in those famous words in John chapter 19, verse 27, as he's looking at John, his most faithful and close disciple, one that he loved deeply, saying to him, take care of my mom. Literally saying, John, behold your mother. And to Mary, Mary, behold your son. He's making sure that his mom gets taken care of after he goes, which goes to show you how much Jesus really loved his mom. He loved his mom deeply. He cared about his mom deeply. And in this fallen world, motherhood is going to be marked by suffering. No doubt a great plan of God was accomplished through Mary, but that doesn't change the fact that she lost her son at 33. That doesn't change the fact that even though a great purpose of God for which now she is eternally grateful, having been in his presence many more years, than she lost him. But nonetheless, she had to go through suffering. And we just see that all throughout scripture. Ruth was left childless and widowed at a young age. Rachel, Hannah, and Sarah were all infertile. Eve and Mary lost their sons under terrible circumstances. We didn't mention Eve. Losing Cain. Two mothers of two kings, both named Ahaziah, encouraged their sons to be wicked and unjust. The prodigal son, think about that story. We don't get the mother's heart in that. We just hear the father. But no no doubt the prodigal son acted terribly disrespectful toward each of his parents. And in our culture, motherhood is often challenging. And marked with suffering. It's often deferred due to late childbearing. Motherhood can be disrupted by divorce. Motherhood can be lost by an infant or child death or a miscarriage. Motherhood can be unachieved as a result of infertility or undesired singleness. And of course our culture also includes wonderful families with strong marriages and happy children. And we praise God for that. The point is that there's not a one size fits all journey of womanhood. Just as there's not a one-size-fits-all journey of manhood. So we hurt today for women in our churches who are facing one of one or several of those challenges. So let's be gentle with each other on Mother's Day. That's the reminder of this first part of the sermon. 
Let's celebrate with the women who have happy families. Let's celebrate and remember also the grace of God that has brought that about. But let's remember the women, the men, the girls, the boys who are hurt by their mothers. Let's remember the mothers who've lost their children. Let's remember the children who have lost their mothers. Let's remember the women who long to be wives and mothers but aren't. And let's come together like we are this morning and worship Jesus alone. For he is the one who's able to redeem. And that brings us to our second part. We've seen that in this fallen world, as a result of sin, motherhood will be marked by suffering. But secondly, our God is a God who cares and who redeems. For an example of that, let's look at the example of Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 1. Would you go to the Old Testament and we'll read this great redemption story of God's care for a woman named Hannah. 1 Samuel chapter 1. We're going to read a, a good portion of scripture here. So 1 Samuel 1, we're going to read the first 20 verses of the first chapter. I think it'll be up on the screen for you. And also if you want to look at it in your own copy of scripture. There was a certain man of Ramatham Zophim of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuth, an Ephrathite. He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah. In the name of the other, Peniah. And Peniah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh. He's a godly man. Verse 4, on the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peniah and his wife and all her sons and daughters. But Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep and why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman. For all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. And then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They arose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord, and then they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. There's a great picture, and we could read Hannah's great Thanksgiving prayer in 1 Samuel chapter 2, which just rips your heart how 
thankful this woman is for how God has answered her and redeemed and delivered her. But the reality is, is that even though motherhood is marked by suffering, God is a God who hears the cries of mothers and who answers the cries of mothers. He is a God of redemption. We saw this already with Mary. God is a God who redeems. And he doesn't redeem out of suffering so much as he redeems in the midst of suffering. It's not that God necessarily takes trouble away, but that through trouble, he is working a great purpose. And that's what we see over and over and over again in Scripture, especially with the two women that we've seen so far, Mary and Hannah. As I was reading in the Psalms this week, I want you to turn with me quickly to Psalm chapter one or Psalm 113. And it struck me as I was reading through various Psalms, just this, I never noticed this in Psalm 113 before. And I want you to hear it and read it from Hannah's perspective. Psalm 113, praise the Lord, praise, O servants of the Lord, praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore, from the rising of the sun to its setting. The name of the Lord is to be praised. Sounds like a regular psalm, right? Keep going. Verse 4, the Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust. And lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. I mean, here's a psalm that's talking about God in his glory. And if we're reading it, we might think, wow, Great is our God. How wonderful. His splendors above the heavens. His throne is from everlasting. From the rising of the sun to the place of his setting. But what this psalm is telling you is don't think that that means God is not compassionate and loving and gracious, especially to barren women. Don't think that he doesn't care about the dust of the earth. And he doesn't care about raising the poor from the ash heap. That is the manifestation of his greatness. That is the reason he is to be praised. This is our God, church. We don't worship a cold, lifeless, distant sovereign. We worship a God who is racked and committed himself to the plight of his people. And who enters in and says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna garner praise for myself. By filling barren wombs. I'm going to garner praise for myself by redeeming mothers. I'm going to garner praise for myself by accomplishing things in the most unking-like ways. Ways that you wouldn't think a king gains fame and honor for himself. I'm going to gain honor for myself by looking after the plight of those who no one looks after. By caring for those who are overlooked and marginalized. And forgotten. Because this is where this kind of praise is going to come from. I mean, this is, if we just go back to 1 Samuel 2 and read what, it's very similar. She praises the Lord in a very similar way to what Psalm 113 says. And so we must remember that our God is a God who is compassionate and gracious and long-suffering and near to the brokenhearted. And he is committed to redeeming the worst of and most difficult 
of providences, trials, and, and even sometimes relationships. I mean, even my own testimony. There, perhaps some of you in this room, surely in a group this size, this would have to be true, is that some of you had a, have, have or had a very difficult relationship with your mother. My mom had me at a very young age. She, was, she had a very difficult time. And my parents divorced at a very young age. And I went to live with my I lived with my mom for a short period of time. And then I, I spent most of my years growing up with my dad. And had very little contact with my mom. I mean, we would exchange call, calls every now and then. And we get letters. And occasionally we would see each other and visit. But it was, it was, not, a, it was not a close relationship at all. And as I grew up and got a little older and went through high school and college, it became tense and difficult sometimes and awkward. And I continued to pray, and I'm sure my mother continued to pray, and we to, to somehow repair this thing, this relationship that we had. And it took about 30 years, but God has redeemed that relationship. My relationship with my mom is wonderful now. God began to work in her life. She reached out to me. At first, I was like nervous about it and unsure about where to go with this. But entering into that step by step and starting to exchange text messages and then phone calls and then visits. And now it's like 30 years never happened. God redeemed that. And, and I'm so thankful for that. And it's proof that, that the Lord can do such things. I, frankly, at the time, I wasn't even thinking about that as a, even a possibility. And the Lord works, and the Lord redeems, and the Lord cares. And I deeply, deeply love my mom. And I'm thankful for God bringing us back together and redeeming our relationship. So be encouraged. God is a God who cares, and God is a God who redeems. Third, So, because the first part, Mary, motherhood is marked by suffering, but Hannah, our God is a God who cares and redeems. Thirdly, be encouraged, moms. Even in the midst of suffering, remembering that God is a God who redeems, you do far more than you think. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 2, and we're going to look at Moses' mom. Exodus chapter 2. Moses' mom. Again, difficult situation. It's just shot right through the Bible. We don't get any rosy picture. Motherhood's just going to be this angelic experience. It's, of course, marked by great joys and wonderful blessings, but it can bring trial and trouble and difficulty as well. But look at what our God is doing here. Exodus chapter 2. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. Now, we didn't read the first chapter, but we'll get, we know that this child was hidden because of threat of death. Verse 3. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the river bank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. And now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. 
She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman and she took it. And when she opened it, she saw the child and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. Now, Moses is hardly the main character in this story. Just like we saw with Mary, with Jesus' birth, Jesus is hardly the main character in Matthew chapter 1. It's Joseph and it's Mary. Well, we have three women here, three remarkable women, three women of different ages, different nationalities, different social standings, all doing their part to fulfill a part of God's great plan of redemption, which is to raise up the man who will deliver his people. And all this is happening, though none of them knew the part they were playing. All they did was see, from from Moses' mother's perspective, a threat on her son's life. And all Pharaoh's daughter saw was a needy baby. And yet, all three of them, one of them not even belonging to God's people, were nevertheless being used by the Lord to accomplish a great plan of redemption. Simply by caring for a baby. Moms, caring for babies is a way that God's redemption comes to the world. Caring for babies. Making sure babies are loved and fed And have a place to sleep and aren't left in a river, in a basket. Here's what Kevin DeYoung says about this very passage. Dear moms, he says, I know a lot of you are crazy busy with these blessings in your life that don't always feel like blessings. You're tired, you're frustrated, you're anxious, you're disappointed with your kids, mostly with yourself. It can seem like making a difference for God is something you used to do or maybe something you can try to do 20 years from now. But at the moment, you're just trying to make it through another day, survive in advance, and maybe take a nap. DeYoung continues and says, I don't know what God's up to in your life and though your life and through your life and because of your life, but here's what I know from the first chapter and a half of Exodus. Up to this point in Exodus, the entire story has been moved forward by women, and specifically by women looking after children. This great story of divine deliverance, this world-famous salvation story that will set the table for the salvation story of Calvary that is yet to come, would never have gotten off the ground if it weren't for women. No Moses, no Exodus, no redemption if it weren't for moms and midwives and big sisters. 
Shifra, Pua, Jochebed, Miriam, and Pharaoh's daughter, God used them all in mighty ways, in ways they couldn't fully understand at the time, in the ways that changed the world, all by simply loving children and protecting their little lives. What's true for teachers and nursery workers and ministry kids volunteers and grandmothers and aunts and nieces and babysitters is especially true for the mothers. You do more than you know. Take encouragement from that. You have no idea what 30,000 years from now, after you've been in the presence of God for millennia, will reveal to you about God's purpose in your life way back on earth. So trust the Lord in the dark when all answers aren't given, when you're just trying to deal with the trials that show up on your doorstep, like we see in Moses' mother and Pharaoh's daughter. When we see these uh, these inexplicable, heart-wrenching, difficult tragedies come in, we know from the Scripture Without a doubt, we are, God is writing an amazing redemption story. So that's my third. You do more than you think, moms, so be encouraged. So we've seen that motherhood's going to be marked by suffering. Mary's an example of that. We've seen from Hannah that God does care, God does hear, God does redeem. Therefore, be encouraged in light of what we've seen with Moses' mother and Pharaoh's daughter that God and will be doing more than you think. But finally, press on in the good work of motherhood. Press on in the good work of motherhood as a result of seeing our God at work through these mothers. For the last mom, I want us to turn to the New Testament. We've seen two in the Old Testament with Hannah and then here in Exodus. And we've seen one so far in the New Testament with Mary Go with me to 2 Timothy and let's look at Eunice and Lois. Eunice and Lois. 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And this is a wonderful text to read in light of the testimony from our brothers Larry and David about faith. 2 Timothy 3, verses 14 and 15. Paul, writing to his young apprentice, his young disciple, Timothy, saying, but as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The question becomes, who did Timothy learn this from? He says he's learned something from childhood. And what he learned from childhood was the scriptures, was God's word. But from whom did he learn it? We get the answer earlier in the letter. Turn back to 2 Timothy chapter 1 and look at verse 5. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. Paul, at the beginning of the letter writing to Timothy, says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first 
in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Now I want you to notice something about these texts. It doesn't mention anything about Timothy's father. We do get something about Timothy's father in Acts chapter 16, verse 1. I'll read it for you. Paul also came to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. So here we have an example of a believing believing mother and an unbelieving father. Some of you grew up in a situation like that. So Timothy is the product of a home in which there was an unbelieving father but a believing mother and evidently a believing grandmother as well. And that's why Paul did not say that Timothy learned the scriptures from his father because he didn't. His father didn't believe them, but his mother and his grandmother did. And now what I want you to notice is what God did in raising up a minister of the gospel through a broken home. This is what God does, okay? He redeems. And what we have here is not an ideal home situation, as if there is one of those that exists. I'm sure there is, but there's sin in every family, so it's going to affect things. But here we have an unbelieving father, a believing mother, and a supportive grandmother. And this mother and this grandmother set an example. That's what we see. We see in chapter 3, Continue, tells, tells Timothy to continue in what you've learned and firmly believe, knowing from whom you learned it. So he says, draw to your mind Lois and Eunice. I want you to think about your mother and grandmother. And I want to think about the example that they set for you of the faith, of what it means to walk with God, to trust in the Lord, and to follow him with your life. I want you to think about them. I want you to pull them before your mind's eye. He says, I also want you to know that they were the ones who taught you the scriptures. You became acquainted with the scriptures because your mother and your grandmother taught you that. And here's what we get. We get a, this is the essence of what biblically, biblical godly motherhood is all about, right? It's about setting an example, not a perfect example, but a faithful one where you're seeking to walk with the Lord and trust the Lord and manifest to your kids that you're dependent on the Lord, which means that they, they know you're a sinner. <laughs> they know that you struggle and you help them understand where you go with that, namely to Jesus. And then you teach them the scriptures. And through that, God brings salvation to people. That's, the, that's one of the most... Easy things to discern on the face of this passage. Timothy came to faith because of his home. And it was a broken home. It wasn't a perfect home. It wasn't an ideal family. Timothy came to faith through the godly example and the faithful scriptural teaching of a mother and a grandmother. And that ought to give us hope and give us perspective. He says, Timothy, one of the ways, not the only way, but one of the ways for you to strengthen your faith and persevere through hard times and not give up on the scriptures is to remember who introduced you to the word of God, the way of salvation. Remember your mother. Remember your grandmother. How many of you have that testimony of a mother 
and a grandmother who invested in you. That's my testimony. My grandmother was extreme. Both of my grandmothers were extremely instrumental. I was introduced through the gospel through both of them. One of my grandmothers became a Christian at the same time I did because she was being brought to the Lord and wanted to bring her grandson to the Lord. And God used her through that. But also, five, six years before that, the very first time I heard the gospel was because I was on summer vacation in Atlanta, Georgia, visiting my grandmother who went to church. And I was going. And she wasn't going to abide any grumping about it. And that night, under conviction of sin, called the pastor up, come over, talk to me. That was the initial startings of God's work. Through a simple grandmother bringing a, a ragtag kid to church. And so, grandmothers here, please realize the influence that you carry. It is a great, it's like, just because your motherhood's done doesn't mean your grandmothering's done. We've got so many grandmothers in here. And the investment that you make in your grandchildren is meant to be encouraged by this passage that God intends and can work through your example, through your teaching, through your faithfulness to your grandchildren. No doubt Lois was thrilled at what Timothy became and was doing as a result of God's work in his life. That's exactly what we saw with Miss Faith this morning. Lost her husband at a relatively young age, but her example and her teaching of the scriptures affected her two sons. And so this isn't this. I mean, this this is this is evidence that scripture is true. Okay, so I'm not making an apologetic argument. I'm just saying when you see what you read in scripture fulfilled in people's lives. And people are transformed by the way God said they would be transformed. We know our God is alive. We know that Jesus is at work. We know the Holy Spirit is, is, is at work through the gospel in the world. And bringing about great accomplishments of redemption and grace through that. So let me make this clear. And with this I'm going to close. The apostle of Jesus Christ, the apostle Paul, in this text bestows on motherhood and grandmotherhood a great honor. You have a calling, grandmoms and moms. Grandmothers have more names than moms. I won't even try to name them. Mine was Meepaw. Where do we get that from? I called her that till I was 19 when she passed away. But you've got Nanas out there and Mimis and all different things. It's bestowed a great honor. You have a calling that can become the long-remembered ground of faith, not just for your children, but also the untold number of children who will be affected as a result of your life. And you know what? This is true of women who never even had children themselves. You can be the spiritual mother and grandmother of scores of people. There are examples of that all throughout church history. And even modern day's examples, I'm sure, that are coming to your mind right now. So be encouraged. Encouraged. Press on in the good work of motherhood. Keep setting that broken, Christ-centered, gospel-shaped example for your kids. Keep teaching them the scriptures. Keep loving them. 
persevere, and let's just see what the Lord might do. In this fallen world, motherhood will be marked by suffering. However, our God is a God who cares and who redeems. So be encouraged, moms. You do far more than you think. Therefore, press on in the good work of motherhood. Worship team, if you'll come forward, we'll close in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for what you do through ordinary women, through ordinary moms. There are scores of us in this room that could testify to the impact that you brought through mothers and grandmothers. We thank you for the example of your word, for the testimony of scripture that gives us not only a reality check on our idealism, on maybe our over-realized optimism, but also gives us great hope that in the midst of suffering, difficulty, trials, that you are a God who is at work, who is redeeming. I pray for all the ladies in this room, all my sisters in Christ, that they would be encouraged today by the fact that you work and are pleased to work through ordinary, godly women and that your word is filled with such examples of how you work through women such as these. Thank you for the example. Thank you for the testimony of Scripture. Pray that these ladies' hearts this morning would be built up and encouraged and strengthened in the knowledge of God and the grace of Jesus Christ. We pray these things through him and because of what he has done. Amen.